Amen. Thank you, Brother George. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn uh, to the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 14. My, we're working... Uh, the, the last week of Jesus' earthly life is what we're in the midst of, that he's uh, come in, uh, had the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, uh, and now is um, doing all the things that we celebrate this week leading up to uh, Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. So we're nearing the end of the story, uh, but, and it's still good. Lots of things that uh, the Lord has to show us in uh, these days. And again, the first two-thirds of the Gospel of Mark covers almost three years of Jesus' life, and then the last third is just one week. Uh, and so a lot of important stuff takes place in that week, though. Um, and This morning I want uh, to talk to us about um, our part to play in God's plan. And we're going to look at several different people uh, and how they played, unwittingly many of them, but they played a part in God's plan. Because God's plan is perfect. It most of the time does not seem perfect to us, but it is perfect and it's best. And most of the time when God's plan doesn't work out the way we think it should, it's because we're in the way, uh, and we're misunderstanding what God's plan is for us. God knows all things, and he uh, knows what's best, and he's all-powerful, um, but we sometimes have trouble remembering we're not all-powerful, uh, and we're not the ones that make the plans and the ways. And remember, the Lord said in the Old Testament, my ways are not your ways, for my ways are much higher uh, and the Lord knows things and can see things and do things that you and I can't do. Uh, and yet, even when we're unwittingly apart, God gives us opportunity to be a part in what he is doing in our world and around uh, the world that we live in. So let's take a look, beginning in uh, verse 1 of Mark chapter 14. It says, After two days it was the Passover, and the feast of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes uh, thought, sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, uh, as he sat at the table, a woman having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard, she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for some uh, more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may also do them good. But me you do not always have. 
she had done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, who, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money so that he sought how he might conveniently betray him. It is indeed a sad thing that happens in these 11 verses but something that did not take God by surprise. And so we find a lot of different characters in this story. This morning I want us to talk about three of these groups and what their response was and what they chose to do with the offer that God made to them to be a part of what God wanted to do in their world. Because you see, it's a very different thing to say you're willing to do something than to do it. There are a lot of people that say, yeah, I'll, I'll be there, preacher. I'll, I'll be at church Sunday. And they're, they're not there. An old, old say, the 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 road to hell is paved with good intentions. Because you see, it's not our intentions, it's not even really what we say, it's what we do that makes a difference. Because our actions show what we really believe. And it shows our heart. And it shows where we stand with God. So the first people we meet in chapter 14 of the Gospel of Mark are the priests. These are supposed to be the religious leaders. Now, all the Jews had some uh, knowledge of the Scriptures, of the old, what we call the Old Testament. They were taught from a very young age. They took Sunday school seriously. They didn't call it Sunday school, of course, but uh, they, did, they do call it Sabbath school. And in fact, Jews still uh, do that uh, many, in, in many synagogues that they have um, sessions after the kids have spent all day in school. They go to the synagogue and they have more school uh, several times a week. Uh, and on the Sabbath day, they, they're what we would call Sunday school. But the priests had special training, special responsibilities, and they were ones that were the ones that were looked upon uh, to be uh, the intermediaries. They were the ones that were looked to be the ones that would help people find God and know God's will and God's direction. They were the ones that presided over the offerings. They were the ones that brought the sermons. They were the ones that were supposed to get it. And they were the ones that better than anyone else had the hundreds of prophecies of the Old Testament memorized backwards and forwards. Do you know the old, what we call the Old Testament was the Hebrew Scriptures? 
And there are hundreds of prophecies or clues about how the Messiah would come. And Jesus fulfilled almost all of them when he came the first time and as he lived his life here on earth. And he'll fulfill the rest of them when he comes back again. They knew all those prophecies. When they should have said, we have a message to proclaim to the people, what they said was, "Uh uh-oh, this joker's going to take our power away. And people aren't going to think we're so important anymore, and we're not going to be in charge, and we're not going to be able just to rely on tradition and do what we want. We better get rid of this guy. They knew the commandments. One of them, by the way, is thou shall not kill. But that's exactly what they were plotting. And ultimately what they would do. They said, oh, we're not, we didn't deliver him up. But they did. And so uh, these priests that should have been coming to Jesus and then proclaiming the message of Jesus as the Messiah were worried about their power and their standing and their traditions. And so they conspired together. They connived. And then they said, but we better do it not during the feast because that's going to cause an uproar with some of the people. Can I tell you, if you have to decide and plot with somebody in secret to do something, it's probably, you probably shouldn't be doing it. And so these priests plotted. They were concerned. They were politicians. They were not religious leaders. They were politicians. And unfortunately, a lot of churches have pastors that masquerade as pastors, and they're really politicians. We, and churches that are not uh, houses of worship, but houses of politics. And it shouldn't be that way. that our uh, politics should be affected by our faith, not the other way around. But the priests had forgotten that. And so they conspired against Jesus to do him in. And we know, if you know the end of the story, you know they ultimately did deliver Jesus. And Jesus was put on a cross and crucified. But I'm going to spoil the ending. If you didn't know already, he doesn't stay dead. He did die. But on the third day, he rose again, just like he said that he was going to. So the priests, the ones that should have and did know all these prophecies, but couldn't see Jesus was this one that God had promised through the prophets and through the rest of the Old Testament scriptures, They were not willing to accept that because he didn't come, he didn't fit their box or their mold. But then the next person we meet in the story is a woman. We don't know for certain who this woman was. Mark just says it was a woman. John chapter 12 that recounts this same incident most likely 
tells us it's Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. In fact, some suggest that Simon, the leper that's mentioned here, is the father of these three. And that's conjecture, by the way. Scripture doesn't say. Could be, but it also could not be. It was a man named Simon who was a leper that Jesus healed that lived in Bethany. We do know that much. And they were gathered at his house to worship him. They were eating dinner. They were reclined. Just as they did at the Last Supper, when they would have a formal meal, they sat low on the ground at low tables, and they'd kind of lean over like so. And that's where they were. The disciples were there. Jesus was there. Simon was there. It was his house. Martha and Mary and Lazarus were there. There were probably some others there at this, at this supper. The eating had got, got over. And just like we all do, and we, we're done eating, most of the time we just we don't get right up and head out most of the time, especially if we were somebody else. We sit and we visit, don't we? And that's the part of the meal that they were in. And something very odd happens. Mary gets up and takes this alabaster flask that she has that has very expensive perfumed ointment in it. And she opened that flask and poured out the contents on Jesus' head. What an odd thing in the middle of an after-supper discussion. Why did this woman do it? Well, I think she probably didn't fully understand what the implications of her doing it was, but I think we can be sure that she did it because God told her to do it. And she wanted to be obedient, but also her life had been so impacted by this man named Jesus... If this man was, uh, if this woman was Mary, the, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, she had raised, Jesus had raised her brother from the dead. She had totally changed in Mary's life along with everybody else that Jesus came into contact with. And so she took what was probably the most expensive possession that she had. And poured it on Jesus' head. It was very odd. And I, again, I don't think she fully understood why she was doing what God told her to do, but I do think she was convinced that God told her to do it. Because if you weren't absolutely convinced, she wouldn't have done it. You wouldn't do it. If God told you to give him something or to use something very precious to you for something that for a purpose other than what you intended for it to be, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do it. You'd probably argue with God, and you'd fight with Him and wrestle with Him, which, by the way, never turns out well for you. But we all do it. But Mary evidently didn't do that. She got up, she had this flask that she'd brought with her to dinner, she broke the top of it off and poured out the contents on Jesus' head and anointed him. Jesus tells us, by the way, later on, he said, you know what, she's done this in preparation for my burial. 
Jesus knew the day and the hour was coming very near. Because he was God, he knew everything. And so he he tells us that this woman has done something great. She's done a good work for me, or to me. It's a good thing that she's done. Just like you remember an incident when they were gathered at perhaps the same house, maybe a different house. But when they were gathered at the house where Mary and Martha lived, in this story, they're the only two that were mentioned, Jesus came. You remember Martha was busy in the kitchen getting stuff ready, and Martha was sitting next to Jesus asking questions and soaking stuff up. And Martha got mad. He said, Lord, aren't you going to tell that no good sister of mine to get off her duff and help me get lunch ready? Do you remember what Jesus' response was? Leave your sister alone. She's chosen the right thing. In other words, Jesus wasn't there to eat lunch. He was there to teach and give a message to these two ladies. One that Martha perhaps would have missed had her sister not been so intent. But Mary was a, a woman who, whose life had been so impacted by Jesus and she wanted to soak up every bit of him. And that is, I think, what God desires of us. By the way, she's the only one that's really put in a favorable light in this entire story. Women by the, in the first century world didn't have a lot of standing in the community. They weren't used to being um, involved in religious affairs necessarily, as far as in worship and and those kind of things. It was the man that was supposed to do those things, and it was the priests who were men that made the sacrifices and offerings. But Jesus put all that on its head when he came. And he wasn't bashful about finding some women and changing a lot of women's lives. But Jesus doesn't just care about men. He cares about women too. And not just adults. He cares about children. He went out of his way several times to minister to the children and used uh, several opportunities to teach uh, using uh, children as object lessons and reminding us that, hey, listen, if you want to follow him, you've got to have the faith of a child. Not the faith of these chief priests who should have been the big example of what faith was. What were they doing? They were plotting against Jesus about to deliver him to his death. But this woman, who society didn't think much of, thought a lot of Jesus, and Jesus thought a lot of her. And so she took this perfume and anointed Jesus. Then the next ones we meet in the story are Judas and the other disciples. The other disciples aren't mentioned in Luke's camp, but they were most certainly there. And it's interesting to me, this is the only instance in the Gospel of Mark that Mark mentions Judas, except when he's in the beginning, when he's listing who the disciples were. 
And in Mark chapter 3, he's, when he mentions Judas, Judas, he puts in a little percentage parentheses, the one who betrayed him. And never mentions him again until this incident. I think that's rather telling. But Judas walked with Jesus for three years. He saw what Jesus did. He saw all the miracles from the changing of the water into wine all the way through casting out demons, raising the dead, and all the other things that Jesus did. He heard all the sermons that Jesus preached publicly, and he heard all the sermons that Jesus preached just to the twelve. And friends, that's a reminder, it is not just sitting and listening to good Bible teaching. Listen, that's important. It's important that God's people are exposed to a regular diet of God's Word uh, and you should be doing that individually, and you should be doing it as a family, and we should be doing it corporately together. That's important. But just having Bible knowledge is not what changes your life. What changes your life is living that Bible knowledge. And part of what that living Bible knowledge means is accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because if you study the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, from cover to cover, it is this unfolding story that proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the Christ. He is the promised deliverer. In fact, Judas even had a very important job. John tells us he was the money keeper. And I guess we're supposed to, that's why he's the one that spoke up. Several of the others that were there, we don't know who they were that made these scowls as Mary was anointing Jesus' head. But they, they gave looks. And they probably said under the but who does this lady think she is? And Jesus knew their heart. He knew what they had said. And he says, you fool, shut up. What this woman has done is a good thing. And he says, in fact, when the gospel is preached around the world, what she's done is going to be told along with it as a memorial to her. Judas was the money keeper. That was a big responsibility. So it's not even just... It's not just sitting in church. It's not even doing stuff in church. It's about knowing Jesus that makes all the difference in the world. And if you read the Bible and you are at church and you do things in church but don't know Jesus, you are wasting your time and your energy. If you're doing those things so that you can earn brownie points to make it to heaven... You're on the wrong track. Because we can't earn our way to heaven. Jesus gives it as a gift. And so we find Judas here, and even the other disciples are really painted in somewhat of a negative light. Judas very much so. 
Judas, who had seen miracles and even been sent out on ministry trips by Jesus, comes to this place where he decides, I don't want to do this anymore. He knew that the, the high priests were trying to trap Jesus. He said, I'm going to go. He, so he goes to him and says, I'm going to help you. Way back in Psalm 90, I believe it is, you know, it talks about the Savior being betrayed by his friend. So Judas even is unwittingly a part of God's perfect, holy plan. Now, I don't think Judas is in heaven. Even though he walked with Jesus and he had a position in Jesus' entourage. And not even because he betrayed Jesus is not the reason why he won't be there. He's not there because he never really allowed Jesus to come into his life and make him new. On the outside, he looked like he had, it, he had new insides, but he didn't. And he's not there because he had not made Jesus Christ the Lord of his life. The other disciples didn't get it. They, listen, they were just like us. They were frail human beings. They didn't have it all put together. But listen, they did try to seek after God, and they did finally, when the Holy Spirit came down, they did finally get it. They weren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, even after that, just like we're not. But they were changed. And you see, that's what makes the difference. Because if, if, and that's why the priests didn't recognize Jesus and why their actions were what they were. And why Judas's actions were the way they were. Their heart had not been changed. But Mary's heart had been changed. Jesus loved her, respected her, allowed her a place to serve him, gave her new life, a new name written down in glory, and she never got over that. That's what makes the difference. But here's the thing. It's not us being at the right places or under the right influences. Those things certainly help. But it ultimately is our decision. It is ultimately up to us whether we surrender our life. Whether we say, Lord, I know I'm nothing but a sinner. I know that I deserve to spend eternity in hell. But I also know that Jesus Christ is a redeemer. And he shed his innocent blood for my sin debt and the sin debt of all the whosoever's in the world. That whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, would be saved. But knowing that's not enough either. We've got to do it. We've got to make that decision. It's not about doing good stuff and going to church. Although, should you be good? I think you should do good things. Does God want you in church? I think he does. And even if I wasn't a pastor, I would tell you that. 
But as your pastor, I could definitely say, yeah, God intends for you to be in church. And not only does God intend for you to be in church, God expects you to be serving him in church. And he expects you to be serving him outside of the church as well. But doing stuff for the Lord is not what it's about. It's not so that we can earn our salvation. We do those good things, and we come to church because we are saved. Or at least we want to be, and we're looking, and we're seeking after God. You can't fix yourself, and you can't get yourself to heaven. But there is one who can fix you, and one who can get you to heaven. It ain't you, it ain't your preacher, it ain't your deacon, it's not your Sunday school teacher. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the only one that can get you there. But once He's come into your life and made a difference, you're new, you're different. So that when God tells you, hey, I want you to give this most prized possession to me, you don't waver and quake. I think back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 22, some of you know where I'm going with this. Abraham had been promised a son, and man, he was getting old. And he said to Sarah, he said, Sarah, I'm old. He said, Sarah, I hate to tell you this, but you're old too. But God promised us a son, so we got to help God out. And you remember Ishmael was born. That was not God's plan. But what did happen? How'd you, some of you are approaching your 90th birthday. Can you imagine on that 90th birthday, an angel comes and says, Hey, guess what, Miss Barbara? You're going to have you a baby. There ain't a what you, I mean, you laugh at God. That's what they did. They said, You crazy. And yet, that's what happened. And this child named Isaac was born. And Isaac grew, and man, Abraham was so proud of his son. And one day, God said to Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac, the one that you love, your most beloved possession on earth, and I want you to take him up on the mountain, and I want you to give him as an offering to me. Abraham took his boy Isaac, up to that mountain and was ready to give Isaac as an offering to the Lord. Why? Because God had met Abraham. And more importantly, Abraham had met God. And Abraham knew God. I don't think Abraham knew how it was all going to work out, but he knew it was going to work out. I kind of suspect they said, well, if I, you know, let, give him as an offer. Somehow God's going to bring him back to life. Although that had never happened. Abraham didn't know that could, was a possibility, but he said, well, God must... But he knew God was going to work it out somehow. And as the scriptures tell us that as he had that knife up in his hand and was about to lay... Now, never mind, in uh, another sermon's about Isaac Lay. He was a teenage boy. His dad was old, old, old at this time, and that teenage boy could have overtaken him, and not, but he didn't. He laid down on that altar. But as he had this knife up in his hand, the angel of the Lord, Scripture says, said, Abraham, wait! Turn around. And there was a ram for the offering. 
with its horns caught in the bushes. God had provided the sacrifice. God sometimes calls on us to be willing to give what we hold most dear to show and to prove that he really is what we need to hold most dear. And so we close this morning, we wrap this sermon up. We've looked at the priest, we've looked at the woman, we've looked at Judas, and we've looked at the other disciples. The last person we're going to look at is you. We know what decisions they made. But your standing in heaven is not dependent upon what these folks made. They made their choice. The question for you is this. What about you? What are you going to choose? I know because you've sat here for the last few years under some good preaching. I'm not a perfect pastor. But you've heard the Bible preached. And I've tried to love you and care for you and lead you the way God has asked me to. And I know that you do lots of good stuff. But again, that's not what it's about. It's about knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. Allowing Him to change your life. The preacher can be your friend, you know, walk beside you, pray with you, give you counsel, but I can't change you. Sometimes I wish I could, because sometimes you all are frustrating. I said, Lord, just let me make them do it. Lord, be a lot faster. But you know what the Lord always says? Nope. Can't do it. They've got to do it on their own. They've got to choose. And here's the thing. If we're going to be God's, not just sitting under good preaching, and it's not only doing good things, it's about knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because that's what makes all the difference in the world. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. That's wonderful, that's great, that's awesome. Remind yourself every day that you've made that decision. Because we all need to be reminded of it often. We're not what we're supposed to be we're not perfect yet but as it old song says praise God we're not what we used to be but if you hear you say you know what yeah I've heard good preaching I do good stuff that's not what gets you to heaven friend so today is maybe the day that you need to say you know what Lord I've heard this preaching and I want you to help me to live it now. Because it's in the living that makes the difference. And confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're here today, you know what I think God says to all? Listen, just as we once were lost, there's lots of people in Pearl, Mississippi, and around this nation and around this world that have not made that decision. There are a lot of good people that think they're going to make it to heaven because they've been good. 
Maybe they were baptized as a child or maybe even baptized as an adult. It's not getting wet that makes you right with God. There are people all around us that need to hear this gospel message and be asked the question, what are you going to do? These high priests, unless they made some very different decisions before they died, are in hell. Did they have the opportunity? Yeah, they had an opportunity. In fact, they had bunches of opportunity. In fact, you say they were more prone to have opportunity than anybody else because they knew better than anybody else these prophecies that Jesus was fulfilling. And they knew and they saw that only God can forgive sins and only God can bring people back to life and only God can cast out demons. And they saw all those things happen. And yet they were not willing to surrender their life to God. Although they said that, that that's what their profession was. That's what they had declared. That, hey, we're going to serve the Lord with our livelihood. But they weren't. They were serving themselves. And even the disciples, most of them did come out good. But one of them did not make it. Not because the Lord didn't call them. Or because God didn't want him there. But because he was not willing. But look, even in his unwillingness to surrender his life to the lordship of Jesus Christ, he was still part of God's plan. Praise God that God has a part for us to play in his perfect plan to change this world. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your love to us. Lord, if there's someone that's watching on the internet, or maybe somebody sitting here in this auditorium this morning. And Lord, they've, they've never really given their life to you. and They've never really trusted you. Would you help them today to call out to you in simple faith and receive the free gift of eternal life? Lord, maybe there's one of your children here today that are not living like they're saved. They're not living like you've made that difference. And they need to call out to you as David did, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Lord, maybe there's one of us here today that we're saved, but we're not doing what we need to, what you've called us to do. There's something that you've asked us to give, and we've been holding on to it. Maybe it's money, maybe it's a possession, maybe it's a talent. Maybe it's a position of service that you've asked us to take and we've just been unwilling. Lord, would you help us today to surrender to you, to say, Lord, whatever you ask me, I'll do it. Lord, help us to have faith and help us to be your hands and feet, we pray. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together this morning, my friend, and we're going to sing a hymn of response. And if God spoke to your heart, there's a decision you need to make. The altars are open. I encourage you to pray and do business with the Lord this morning as we sing.